Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me at the Strobro. Uh, I'm joined, uh, not as always, but um, you know, on some type of frequency with Josh Fredlin. You can find him at Josh Fred on Twitter, and then Craig Gardelli definitely most of the time um, at Monday Morning Fly Half. Uh, you know, I just thought we we'd rotate some of the fan um, around, uh, and then maybe get a guest host in a couple of weeks just to. To spice it up, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know. Just, you know, just being different um, because why not? And, yeah. I just uh, I just got my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine yesterday. So I'm now uh, I'm now COVID free forever. So uh, <laughs> exciting times here in New York. Well, that means you'll get it, you know. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so far, I mean, we've had three rounds of games. That's pretty cool. Minimal COVID interruption. We're doing better than Major League Baseball, who already canceled. <laughs> doing, doing better than the NHL. Like, I was like, so the NHL reorganized their entire conference system so that like, they had a Canadian conference slash division type thing. And then, you know, a couple days ago, half the Canucks uh, come down with, uh, you know, tested positive. And I'm like, what were you guys doing? Like, it's not like, it's not exactly like BC is not exactly um, open right now. Like, and then if you look at Toronto, like, Ontario, they're going into like another lockdown. Like this is crazy. Um, really? I think, I think Utah might've caught COVID, but only inside the new England attacking 22. All of a sudden, <laughs> they were crippled. Yeah, it was um it reminded me a bit of uh Nola when they played DC and San Diego and Austin when they played San Diego. Um, well, I, I think it was I, I agree with the second one, not as much the first. I think when, when Nola played DC, DC kept making huge stops. You know, it wasn't yeah. like Nola was knocking it on, running at the touch. I mean, Nola was attacking, and DC kept coming up with big plays. I, sometimes maybe there was a knockdown, but I mean, there were a lot of big defensive stops. This weekend, Utah lost to New England, 21-22, New England's first home game. Uh, but Utah, I just felt like, was was really dominating all elements of the game, except for the fact that they just kept blundering every time they, they approached an attacking chance. Even sure-handed people like I remember Mikey Teo, I think, knocked on a, a back of a, a, a rock at one point. I mean, there was every opportunity. I think I think the, I'm looking at the stats here. The carrying meters were 882.9 for Utah, 378.2 for New England. So, I mean, that just gives you a sense of how much ball and territory Utah had. Uh, where, and kick meters were about the same. So, I mean, it was 614 Utah, 716 New England, so it wasn't like oh we're man we're already like, we're already like deep into this game. I I didn't even know we were going there yet. Just let me share. We need to be able to banter so I can have time to share the link <laughs> on Twitter and stuff. Jeez, ah, sorry. <laughs> like 
I mean, I'm just so excited to talk about it. I'm not even saying like we don't even do beer and banter or anything around here, but uh, <laughs> I, I will say, um, Josh Whippy did get the try of the week. That oh, was a nice gosh. try. That was that was, and Mikey Teo's try at the death was also very nice. That was, I mean, there were a, there were a number of good tries. Um, that fake out on Teo from to Fife was a pretty good one too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was really just, just generally, I thought there was good, you know, rugby played this weekend and it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, overall, uh, we, you know, I was listening to some other things and it's like, which game you thought, which, which, so here's a question. Which game did you think was the best rugby match of the weekend? Like quality wise. I'm going to say Toronto old glory. Okay, I think I don't think Old Glory played poorly. I think Toronto really uh, either they just got lucky with a game plan that worked, or they, in my view, probably assessed what was going on across MLR and spotted some weaknesses. Specifically, teams cannot retain their own lineouts. Uh, I mean, teams are. I feel like I don't know if there's official stats somewhere, not on not on the MLR webpage, but I feel like it's got to be fifty fifty. Uh, you know, I'm retaining your own line. Some very low. Percentage. There's there's actually no team under 50% um, when it comes to lineouts uh, completed. I would say the lowest. I mean, I saw it. The lowest was like 65. So I, I, I just think it looks, whereas like a lot of teams that struggled, like there are some teams that struggled there, like or where it looked really bad, they're, they're in the 70s and 80s. Whereas like it's interesting to see, it's still low. I mean, seventy percent is still pretty low for you know your own lineout retention. Uh, not in this league, man. Because we've, I mean, just generally, uh, if you look, there are some teams that are have like been in the nineties uh, throughout the history of this league. But you've also had some teams that were have drifted far lower than the current average this year. So I, I, I mean, to say that. You know, in the seventies, I think in the seventies is low, and in the eighties is probably average, and high is probably, you know, high eighties or low nineties. But it it only gets that way if you're not really contesting. And we've actually had some teams contest quite a lot in this one, um, especially if you in in the game that uh, we're going to get to right now. But just conceptually, I, I liked. Uh, Atlanta versus San Diego uh, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, John, but guess what? In, in this league, I don't think there have been many teams to retain their own lineout uh, more than like most of the teams have not retained their own lineout 90% of the time. I'll tell you that. Um, and that that's an easy statistic to find out. Yeah, but I mean, if, they, if the, this league they haven't, it doesn't change the fact that it – it changes the landscape of how you pursue a, a game plan. If you can kick fine touch on a bounce and then you have a 40% chance of taking that line out. Well, then you kick for points. I mean, like you can't, if you like, and this is what we saw this weekend with some adjustments, instead of kicking for points, uh, it, well, instead of going for the corner, um, Robbie Petzer kicked for points quite a lot. And just by the way San Diego was going, um, I, I would have liked to have seen some more 
line out and maul from from Atlanta, but we didn't really get to see it. But I guess when the other team is committing that many penalties and you have that many gimmies, just uh, you know, give the man the T and you know let him put up twenty one points. Um, you know, it's it, we have seen this year specifically, and I think part of it is because of just the way training camp unfolded and. Um, that the first four games are basically still a preseason. So we won't, I mean, this was week three. So next week is week four. Um, For some teams, we will really have an idea of what they are. And if a certain team is still really bad in the lineup, they're probably going to be really bad in the lineup the rest of the the year. And the same with scrum. And then just the same with, I, I think the one thing that you can probably clean up is penalties at the rock. I think, you know, what happened with New England and Utah might be an anomaly. I thought, um, I'm not saying it was called one way, but I thought like the ref really called um, penalties at the at the breakdown quite high. Um, the first Boston home game, you know, you're gonna get a home ref. Yeah, there. yeah, but like there was like there was this one where. Um, Tyler Fisher literally could not get out of the ruck. Like there was a new England player on him. He could not move. And he was, you know, they, the ref blew a penalty and awarded like, that was stupid. Um, Then there was the um, yellow card to what Aston Fortain for a side entry. And like, there was no warning. Like, I was like, I didn't know that side entries were an automatic yellow now. Like, that's a new one. Um, and it wasn't because he was cynical. Like, well, I guess he said it was cynical, but, like, it wasn't – like, if you watch the play, it's not like he was cynical, quote, unquote. But – Was that was that one off a of mall or was that the breakaway? It was the breakaway. It was breakaway. Yeah, I think, I think that was why it was the yellow card was because it was viewed as stopping a um, – I, I dis. I mean, I I disagree with that just, call. Just, but, just give me the potential reason. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can understand the 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 implication, of, like why it was given, but I'm just like that makes no freaking sense. Like it wasn't like he really, and it's not like they gave him a penalty try with yeah, that. Either, I know. So. It, it almost seemed like they wanted to award a penalty try, but he was too far out, so they were like, "All right, this fucking yellow card." Uh, sorry, so, um, bang yellow card. But if, but now, but just different things. I think certain teams like their lineouts are gonna are gonna get good, and we're gonna see some teams that used to be great in the set piece. Um, they might go towards the mean, or they might just drop below average. Um, and we will find out with one of those teams this week because they're coming off by. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I don't know. Um, I, I, I eat all the data at work, so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, just yeah, generally, well, are you guys happy about, um, Austin, you know, just retaining the Texas cup two years in a, like about their, so their, their victory to snap their, was it a 20 game losing streak last year? Cause it was the last game, right? Did they have a buy early? Or did they have a 20, last was it 21 games. They did. They did break their losing streak, but it was a tie against Utah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 That makes all right. So they so they got the tie against Utah last year, and then they got that Texas Cup win um, at the end, the last game of the season. Or 
last game of the COVID season, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So and that's what like broke the like the complete streak, I guess. But I think they had lost like twenty one games in a row. Twenty twenty one sounds about right. As a, yeah. as a former Austin resident, I'm happy to see a franchise on the rise, even though they've now completely replicated the Longhorn colors and appearance. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I guess. I mean, we sort of talked about the game. Let's let's actually talk about the game. Sorry, um, I jumped the gun. Utah Sorry. 21, uh, New England 22. Um, home victory for the Free Jacks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we did talk about it a bit. And, and you know, um, you guys know on this show, if you listen, I'm never – I never blame the refs. I will admit I, I thought the call seemed a little one-sided in favor of New England. But, honestly – the game was there for Utah to win five times over. I mean, they had so many attacking chances. They, they made so many errors that had nothing to do with the ref uh, just trying to execute scoring plays. And they did have two incredible highlight reel tries, but in the end, it just wasn't enough. I mean, New England capitalized on, you know, botched lineouts and other mistakes that uh, Utah made, and they uh, they kind of played a hard nose, fewer fewer you know, ball handling type of, of errors on the field. Uh, and, you know, they, they they took advantage of their few opportunities, whereas Utah could not take much advantage of their, their many opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I thought the the ref was a little – I would say it was a 55-45 rather than the like the 51-49 sort of balance. I – I think where he really didn't ref, I wouldn't say didn't ref fair, and this is just in general observation as as a fan, just I didn't think the breakdown was refereed the same way on it for per attacking team. And that was where I think the biggest difference. However, I always say if you the ref doesn't matter. Like I, I really believe that. If a team the ref did not decide the outcome. If a team makes the referee matter, that's their problem. If you don't know how to adjust to the referee based on what's going on, because like especially, I mean, I think the one of the problems that we teams don't have in major league rugby is we don't have a consistent referee panel, except for say Scott Green and Derek Summers and um Luke um Lex Weiner is is now a consistent center ref, and I think Luke uh, Luke Rogan, um, Joe Rogan apparently, <laughs> <laughs> Luke Rogan. I think those are the four most consistent referees we got right now. Could we get Joe Rogan? That'd be a great media. And, it, was, it was it was actually it was Seth Rogan, not Joe Rogan. It was Seth Rogan, Seth Rogan. That's right. <laughs> uh, but I think those are the four most consistent refs, and I think especially Scott Green and Derek Summers. There's enough tape on them that. Teams could like teams scout the opponent, right? Well, teams can scout the ref, um, and like their tendencies, and you could know like what Derek Summers' tendency is and what Scott Green's tendency is, um, to know how you sort of need to play around the ref and sort of how you have to talk to the ref, um, and like I think, but for the most part, that has been something just because the league is entering its fourth season. You don't really have, whereas like in the premiership, I am certain that there's a scouting report yeah. on every ref. But I mean, don't they like, you know, this is certainly happens at club level. I, I would be pretty shocked if it didn't happen at the pro level where before the game, the ref comes over, talks to the team and tells you his 
or her. Well, they do, uh, but like I, I, I always, I, I remember that happening often in it's in club at club level, and I also remember like the referee telling you one thing and then doing the exact opposite um, when it came to um, like refereeing, say the scrum. Be like, so are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Um, or the break, like whatever. I mean, the ref comes in, goes into the lock. Normally, I don't know how it's done now, but normally would go into the locker room and talk to each team about just you know general. Yeah, so you know, the ball's out when they do this. Yeah. I, you guys really dying before I call them. Yeah, whatever his personal folk. Yeah, you know, his. But like, there is just with the. I mean, that's their personal stuff. But if you watch their film, like they call, they tend to lean a certain way about. Like, um, how strict are they with the scrum? How strict are they with no. the breakdown? Like, sh- um, you know, with the line out, like, do they let it go a little over or do they, does it have to be really straight? Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I don't think we're at the point where teams have scouting reports on refs and it will be interesting in a couple of years how, how that goes. But, you know, like you said, like Utah had this game many times. Many times they didn't like either they blew up their own break. They blew up their own rucks, um, you know, with late entries or they didn't run in support at a, like for, you know, well at all. And so they get, I think, I think they conceded like five breakdown steals in this game, which is, which is a lot. Um, it was, it was bad. Like just the, it sort of reminded me of like, Utah in season one in which is weird. Don't, but they also like in that first half, man, where they didn't get any points, the, um, the ball movement and how much they tossed the rock around and didn't like, didn't concede turnovers via knock-ons was really impressive. Like I thought they were just going to score. I thought it was going to happen. And then, you know, then they turn over the ball at a rock. Um, Rocker, they'd kick, you know, they'd, they'd get a penalty, kick to touch, and throw it away in the lineout. Yeah, yeah. The, the lineouts this week, I mean, I guess uh, I was reading something. It's like the lineout for Sam and Malolo in week two was amazing versus Toronto. And then in week three versus New England, both Sam and Malolo and Tuver Vuga Koto couldn't throw a lineout to save their life. So, uh, I don't know, but um, what was it? Someone was saying on another podcast, man, I forgot what I was going to say. Kicking. There wasn't any needless kicking in this game. Like the amount of ball movement and amount of attacking rugby that was being played by both teams was extremely, very, extremely good. Like, and when there was kicking, like guys tried to like score off kicks. So I, it was, it was enjoyable. To be honest, and you know, good for New England. I mean, I was skeptical of New England coming to the year. I'm still a little skeptical, but I mean, they lost Week One to, I guess, apparently the best team of all time, the Guiltinis. So, <laughs> you know, that you know, at that time, that just you know fed my confirmation bias that New England wasn't going to be a strong team. But yeah, then two pretty impressive performances. Um, you're gonna really get the West Circuit, you know, to start the season. So we'll see when they play some Eastern Eastern Conference rivals. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Uh, it was. It I, I mean, R- Ryan Martin talked up Harrison Boyle uh, early on in the season. I thought his his first game was, uh, I mean, um, forgettable. I thought the second game was was decent, but wasn't great. I think he got carded in the second game. 
Um, yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it wasn't good, like, but it wasn't the first week. So I think he's finding his feet. And this is, but this game was where like I'm seeing what Ryan was talking about, and I think that like. I think he's 20, 21 as a young, like American qualified fly half. Like that's very, I think he's going to get like starting 16 games in this league. Or if they go to the playoffs, like he could be called into the Eagles very fast. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, still they only orchestrated 300 some odd carrying meters as a team this week. So, I mean, he didn't make any mistakes that I can recall, but it's not like they're not, their offense isn't exactly humming either. Uh, so I, I think there's, you know, uh, color me partially skeptical still of New England. So Toronto 40, 19 DC, Josh. Um, you know, th- this game, I think it was, you mentioned, uh, Harrison Boyle finding his feet for New England. I think this was Toronto finding their feet period. Um, they struggled, um, they struggled in the second half against Atlanta. Um, they struggled against they struggled early against Utah and then ear was just outside of a few uh, missed plays. This was just complete domination from Toronto. I mean, you had five tries from five different people. Um, you had the, the defense was all over DC. They, um, to the, um, I always forget how to pronounce his name. Um, Tusitala um, just couldn't get going at all for DC. Um, I, I will say that um, the broadcast again did almost miss a, a yellow card um, from Stan South. Uh, we did see the ref's arm go up, but it wasn't explained clearly. Um, I, I guess it was a, a professional foul, but um, Toronto really couldn't t- um, take advantage of it. In fact, they actually allowed a try from Third Palamo. But, you know, other than outside of, of that and a late try from James King, it was really Toronto's game all day. Or Taylor <laughs> Adams trying to tackle um, Bretton Palamo. Yeah. Doug Fraser also had some pretty uh, some pretty powerful runs, though they ended up not, uh, not leading to any points. Doug Fraser played very well in that one. Um, you know, you're seeing things from, like, I think two players for them that – was it um, a player that's always going to get his just on the stat sheet and you just see how much work he does is Mungo Mason. And it's like, he's just, uh, he's really good. And then um, Mikey Sosenifeagai is playing very, continues to play pretty well. And then I think Jamison Fiona Schultz is is still playing very well. Um, It wasn't a bad, like they didn't, like the score is sort of not, I wouldn't say not indicative of the game. I would say that they were there physically, but they conceded again, conceded penalties in the wrong p- part of the field. And um, like Gaston Mirez, oof, like, you know, he's just, he's, he's back on form. Like he didn't really have two good games, but holy, yeah. he just, well, once, it was like a group of lead. They started playing, you know, with a level of confidence and swagger that, you know, they hadn't had this year. And I think they really kind of floodgates open there at the end. Who, who was, um, I, I apologize. I'm escaping. Who was the, who played eight for Toronto against Utah? Manuel Diana. Was it no? He was sitting out this week because he was injured. Was it Deanna? For for eight, he's played eight 
all three gates for Toronto. Who was the su- I guess he was a sub against Utah then. Let me try and find it. I just because well, you looked that up. I mean, I, I think the uh, I I think playing into my theory for this week here about the lineouts, I just feel like Toronto actually really played into that effect. They they had come up with another slightly like triple the kicking meters that Old Glory did. Even though Old Glory ran a lot, you know, covered a lot more territory on the ground, uh, but they they won far fewer lineouts, and it was just Toronto kept pressing them with kicks. And letting them make mistakes, and uh, I think that was a strategy that worked out. And it seemed seemed like a strategy that was honed for this preseason type of period where mistakes are common. It was like we know that mistakes can be made if we just kick the ball deep into their territory over and over again. Eventually, they're going to make mistakes. So, in Major League Rugby, there's a lot of kicking that goes on. Like, you know, and one of the things that I think is different compared to other leagues is I think we're very good at playing to find space and playing to literally pin guys in the back and try to gain territory with, you know, with just sort of how coaches are employing their, you know, their skill position players when it comes to having centers, fly halves, and fullbacks kick. And whereas if I watch a Munster versus Leinster game, I'm not seeing a hard kick chase at all. But if, you know, to the next game we'll I'll talk about is like the kick chase for that team was ruthless. Um, I thought the kick chase for the chase for Toronto was very good. And like, you know, they don't do what they do without being, you know, just their transition intensity being able to, to just do what they they needed to do, and and this week they're they're going to have a, not a wake up call, but they're going to have another game where they have to step up a lot. So, um, Josh, did you find the per- player that you want to talk about? Yes, actually, and it, I apologize. It wasn't an eight; it was a wing. It was uh, Manuel Montero. Um, oh yeah, Manuel Montero. He came off the bench, uh, yeah, last week and yeah. played pretty well. Um, so that was, that was my fault. Um, <laughs> hey, somebody ran wells on the team, man. Uh, so moving on, we got Houston zero. That's the second goose egg, uh, that they've laid uh, in two weeks, um, to 26 uh, against Austin. And there wasn't wind like there was down in Houston when they played, um, New England. And but again, like I would say, this was a more balanced victory compared to uh, say New England's victory against Houston, because the first half for that game, both teams were just horrible. And then the second half, I don't know what the Sabercats did, but they didn't come out of the locker room and, you know, um, New England did what they did. But in this game, it was pretty physical still, but um, just like, after this game, they now ha- they had the number two ranked defense going into this game, and they have the number one ranked defense coming out of this game, and they like they did not allow um, Houston to play at all. Um, I think that they don't have a. Scr- I think Houston doesn't have a scrum half right now with Devet De- Roos um, still out injured. Um, they are playing around with their, their halfbacks. Uh, I know that like Sam Windsor played uh, center in this game. Um, for him, it worked out okay. But their attack running through 
uh, short and povey did not work at all. Um, yeah. if, anything, if anything, short was killing the ball, and it was very strange. Whereas if you looked at Jin Ho Mun's, you know, first two performances, I understand like the guy doesn't can't hear out of an ear, but for being a guy that's partially deaf, he can. He has a very he is very good ball awareness and spatial awareness, and he knows like he's a decent attacking player. Um, and I think it would have given them a better chance in this game to do any do something. They didn't do anything. Um, Attack is completely lifeless. Poor Sam Windsor like has to create and construct entire plays himself to have any sort of flash or danger. Uh, but I mean, I remember one key, a little kick. You know, chip kick he did uh, that looked like maybe something would happen, but the rest of the game, I can't even think of a, a sequence where Houston looked like they were going to score. I mean, it was I, just- I think that like the defense in the second half kind of picked up for Houston, but um, attacking wise, they, they were never a threat in the second half. Um, and but for Austin, I mean, this is sort of one of those games where like they a they needed to step up. But B, they performed really well. Like they, their defense was, as you know, we would say in football, lights out. Uh, they, um, you know, when it came to kicking for lineouts and trying to run their set piece, they did that. Um, they got, you know, three tries effectively off the set piece. One, um, you know, two from Mason Coke, who was MLR's player of the week, and then a third that could have been his, but Jamie McIntosh got. Um, he, you know, I think I think the sheriff. He's called the sheriff because of that mustache. Um, I think the sheriff let him have one. You know, just you know, you gotta you gotta let the big guys you know share the love. Um, so you had three tries scored by uh, Austin Big Man up. Three front row tries, yeah. That front row tries is massive yeah. between uh, McIntosh, Coke, and Patty Ryan, who looks like he's fifty pounds bigger than he was with Rooney. I mean, that yeah. is a huge front row. Yeah. He's, he's been eating that Texas barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, they're so, hey, players back too, man. Like, they, they, their, their second row had been, like, banged up. Like, like Osberg is back. I think um, they're going to get uh, Dodson back very shortly. So, like, they after the first game, they were very not healthy. <laughs> and then, like, some time off is, is going to bring those guys back. So I guess question. Um, I know this is this was confusing a couple people on the subreddit. So with the new scrum rule, if they get the penalty, they can't choose another. Scrum. Apparently, they can't. At least the second time, right after the after the first reset, they can't. Which I don't like. And that, that cannot be the. I'm telling you, the referees are trying to sabotage that law by purposely calling it that way when that's not the intent. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, the way I read it is basically we're just not going to reset scrums that need to be reset. Like if if yes. both if both teams are the cause of it going down, then we're just going to free kick this thing on the. Like after that first re- after that reset, if it goes down again, whereas if you're in a scrum and you win the scrum and you win a penalty, you should be able to choose a scrum again. Like, yes, of course. If that really is the intent of the law, that is the dumbest law I've ever heard. That cannot be what they meant. Because we're seeing some dominant scrums get like punished. In this I, know, I, I, was, I, I didn't even believe it the first time they, they made that decision. And then I, I, was it this week? Or was it was the second. Was it this game? 
It was the it's, second one, and I happened to hear the ref say, like, no, boys, you can't do it. I'm like, that cannot be the rule. It can't be what they mean. Oh, that's that's until there's a clarification. That's what the refs are doing, um, and it's kind of annoying. But yeah. I guess it is what it is. Um, so I, I guess one last question for Austin with their defense. Um, actually, shout out to Coco Crisp on the ML Rugby subreddit with his um, efficiency. Oh, that was um, that was legit. Like yeah. that's probably something I should be doing, but no one. <laughs> Yeah, and so, I also and mine wouldn't look as good. <laughs> so if if I can try to explain it um, relatively quickly, he is taking the points per what, it, what was it on? So it's it's efficiency. What is it? It's points per hundred carries and points conceded per hundred carries. Yeah. So yeah. So with with Austin, is that just a product of who they've played, or is it that actually Austin? I would say, well, we, we saw them play good defense against Utah, and then we've seen them play San Diego, who I I don't know what that team's identity is yet. Yeah. Um, and we've seen them play a team that I I know what their identity is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I there's a no defense, though. I mean, I, I think, I mean, look at San Diego. Yeah, they, they were having a – Surprisingly weak year, but they're they're not they're scoring okay. They scored a lot against New York, like thirty some odd points against New York. Yeah. They scored twenty something against Atlanta, right? That's one of the probably the best defenses out there. Um, so Austin, yeah, I, I think Austin's defense has been real this year. I think it was like obviously both teams conceded zero, but if you look at the statistics, uh, Austin had a statistically better performance on defense against Houston than New England did. Um, just, and it's, and I'm, I'm not like, you know, taking half a yard. I would say statistically they performed better. Now, the only statistic in this sort of scenario that kind of matters uh, just for the punters, I guess, is the zero. Um, and and Johnny Utah says, uh, Austin, Defense, good. <laughs> uh, I think they still have to work on their attack, but if they keep this defensive intensity, uh, they will they will perform well. Um, I don't know how it's going to work for them this week, um, but uh, defense in front rows—that's all you need, baby. We'll get to that. Um, so, uh, moving on to uh, the final game of the weekend. I guess we've sort of been talking these all up, but um, San Diego. 22 41 versus Atlanta. Now the one the the I put out on Twitter was this is like the physical intensity that Atlanta is bringing in this game on in general at the point of attack and the point of contact and on defense reminded me of San Diego in season two where it's just like it just feels like they are a professional team like you just it. Like you can feel it when you're watching. Did you guys get the same? Yeah, I, I, I did. I did it. Um, actually, in the post game press conference, Matt, I think it was Matt Heaton who said it, and I may be missing. I may, if I'm remembering this correctly, he's like, "Yeah, we just got, we just went back to straight physical ball. We tried to get too flashy, and playing. We tr- we went back to our game of, of physical style of rugby. It worked out for us. Yeah, because San Diego had an early lead. Yeah, they're they're 
first 20 minutes were probably the best 20 minutes of San Diego's year. Uh, but then Atlanta came roaring back and uh, really stomped them out in the end. I will say having um, – I always forget names. Um, the Fijian um, t- uh, prop as a, as a super um, As a sallow? Yeah, six one, six one, three hundred pounds, and like as soon as I don't know if it was just San Diego being tired, but as soon as he came on, like they literally just started walking backwards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, San Diego, another team that's like very lifeless. I mean, they're they're scoring, but they're just they seem so low energy this season, don't they? I mean, there's like no life to that team right now. I don't know if it's, yeah. You, know, you, 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 I think you just naturally look at who they've had in years past and say, okay, well, is it because they don't have Mikey Teo? Is he the spark, or is it JP Duplessis? I don't know, but I thought maybe it was Joe Peterson. But even with Joe Peterson back, um, there really hasn't just hasn't been any flash or like not, none of the magic we saw last year. I just, I, I, I just go back to. With the way now it's the two-headed monster, but with the way the staff worked, they had a you know a three-person coaching staff last year with Hoadley being you know sort of the architect of that defense. Tess was the architect of you know the the attack, and then you know and then obviously Scott Murray coaching the forwards, and that lineout was pretty deadly um, in you know last year and the year before. Um, but like they're, I think they're going to get, they're going to get some help. Uh, Josh Furno is coming back from France. So, um, along with, you know, the whole team moving back to San Diego. So that's, um, cool for the San Diego fan base. They'll at least their, their team, they will at least be able to absorb their team via osmosis if they can't, um, yeah. Maybe that's the problem. They've been out in Vegas all this time, just at the casino until two in the morning every night. <laughs> Maybe they just need the beach vibes to come They're back. They're oxygen in. It's all right. <laughs> I mean, I mean if, we, if we want to go back to tactics for a minute, um, Hoadley was um, a guest on the American Rugby Show with Alex Corbusero and Todd Clever. Um, Todd Clever, and they, he mentioned after their – Lost against Rooney that they got away from kicking. They used the kick as an attacking tool to go chase the they kicked it down the field, they'd go chase it and force the other teams to make mistakes. And that's what had worked for them. And they got and they seem to have gotten away from that. I think like I mean the only kicker in the back three right now is is Owsley. And like the threat of kicking like with Bassoon and Vassau isn't really there, and they also don't have that threat in the midfield uh, with, you know, Owsley playing uh, back at 15 and Peterson playing at, uh, at 10. And they, the interesting thing is, like, they had, like, a whole setup when, you know, Owsley was playing 13, Duplessis 12, and they had Luke Burton at 10. And then they, they never ended up playing Joe Peterson at 15, but they would have had, uh, you know, three kicking playmakers in that back line. And it would have been very, very hard um, to at least clear. It would have been very hard like to just kick at them because they would have been, they would have cleared their exits uh, kicking very well. Um, and they used to have like one of the best kick chases in the league. That is very true. Yeah. So, you know, 
Nice, impressive win for Atlanta. Uh, not, uh, not another not impressive read for San Diego, in my view. Um, moving forward to uh, our previews um, and picks. Uh, so, LA versus Toronto. I think uh, I think Toronto is going to play well in this one, but they're just not clicking yet, um, and. It's really going to be hard to see what they do, what they could do to to just score and keep pace with LA. Uh, that I think that's the biggest thing. I think they're gonna, you know, they're gonna bring the physical intensity again, but they just won't have, uh, you know, an attack that is ready and and able to compete against, you know, that attack. Or maybe LA lost against the bye. I I, I don't know, um, but I think LA is gonna you know, probably put up 50 points. Um, I, I think Toronto has the ability to put up 30. I don't think the margin is going to be nearly as wide as the games against New England and games against uh, and, and Seattle. Um, so, you know, just uh, until otherwise, give me LA by 15, you know? 15. This is in uh, this game is in New Orleans, right? Yeah, so, it is. Uh, I know. I said in the notes it was in Atlanta, and then I then someone posted on Reddit about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I knew that. I'm an idiot. Sorry." <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Another another new venue for Toronto. It's basically a, a neutral site. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I I'm uh, I'm high on the East and not so much on the West this year, but I think this particular case, I'm going to have to go Giltini's. I'm not gonna say 15. I'll say Giltini's by seven. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I'm gonna go with LA by 12. I think it, it, to me the test is gonna be the road trip. It, it is their first road trip. I know they they had that month in Maui, but I like you're going to the east east ish coast. So I it's gonna be it, it is gonna be an early game for them because it's what it's a 1:30 kickoff. That's 10:30 LA time. So it's that probably will play at least somewhat of, of a difference. I mean, it could be larger if, it, if the – I can't talk today. The final score would probably be larger if this was um, either a later game. Or, yeah, if this was a later game. But, yeah, I'm just going to stick with that like by 12. Okay. Next game on the docket, uh, Austin going to New Orleans. So a, a New Orleans doubleheader out there. Uh, look, I mean, we just spent a lot of time talking about New Orleans, or, uh, Austin's defense. They're going to certainly have a test here um, with Nola's offense, who you know, scored 50, I think, uh, before their bye last, last week. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think Austin has made a lot of improvements. I just really think Nola and the East are, are strong right now. And I don't know that Austin has the attacking ability to keep up with Nola. I did it for the pancakes, Scott. <laughs> did it for the pancakes. Can you I see saved it? my day glow colors for the weekend, Scott. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I just I, I don't see Austin being able to to keep pace with Nola's scoring ability in this one. Uh, so I'm going to say Nola by eight. Yeah, uh, even though they have the best defense in the league, I don't think that they've faced an attack like this. Um, I think the thing that really would hurt Nola is the fact that they they had a bye very early, so they're 
they lost sort of some continuity by, by taking some time off, but uh, yeah, probably a converted try here or a seven point try since we have seven point tries now um, <laughs> for, for Nola. I think, I don't think it'll be a basketball score. So probably, you know, a 20, 30 game, something like that. Um I I think if they, if Austin can get the the right pieces in place this week and their their defense stays as impressive as it has been, I I'm going to take Austin by two. Whoa, man! How, how do you have a, do you have a hole to dig out on Superbrew like me? Like oh jeez, let's not talk about Superbrew. <laughs> hold on, hold on, let me. I think Aaron and I are like bottom five of thirty whatever people we have, and yeah, it's pretty bad. My, I will just say my first week was so bad that I'm just clawing. I am 26 out of 36. Okay, so not as bad as us. Great. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but um, so, and then moving on to Sydney uh, at Houston. Uh, this, is, this is what I call, and this is what we called in football, the get right game. But the one team in the league that is just sorry every year after year after year. Well, in, in this case, they are kind of sorry on the back of, you know, two losses where they, uh, um, you know, laid goose eggs. Um, I don't know if Nick Boyer is actually in this week. I know he has been traded to Houston. Um, if, if there is no Devet Roos available, he's probably right away the most talented scrum half they have. But they have like five scrum halves, so that means they have like no scrum half. It's kind of like having no quarterback. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is. I mean, San Diego's been able to score points in pretty much except well, the two, two in two games they could score points, and in one game against Austin they they struggled. But. Uh, you know, I, I just think that they have the experience in the right spots and that their scrum will be enough and that they are just better with the ball. So probably San Diego by 10, minus 10. What I'm going. Yeah, I mean, Houston just had two weeks where they didn't score. San Diego by 20. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are, are, we, are we just going to call this the battle of the battle for the dog right now? The battle for the duck. Well, I mean, no, because, because Seattle lost to Houston. So Seattle, Seattle has not won a game. So when see if the I know yeah, Houston beat them, but, but I feel Seattle's going to turn them around. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I, I hope Houston turns it around too. Like, uh, I don't call a triple zero. <laughs> ski, <laughs> ski, where you been, dog? Where you been? Oh man. <laughs> um, right, I'll take San Diego by thirty in a shutout. Oh, there Ooh. you go. There you go. Wow, I'm out here making a 20-point pick, and you have to show me up with a 30 on the same With game. a goose egg. With a goose egg. Well, hold on. Like, all right, San Diego put 22 up on Atlanta, and Atlanta has the third-best defense in the league, according to Coco Crisp. 
Houston uh, has Houston has the seventh. Let me tell you, let me, oh, I'm gonna go into. I'm gonna go find out. Give me tell you where their defense is ranked in a second. Excuse me. They play New York, um, who I think the bye did not help, won't have helped them, to be honest. All right, let's go look at defensive rankings. Um, so Toronto after or wait, no, this is Atlanta, right? Yeah. yeah. After this weekend, they now have this. Oh no, no, no. okay. We're third ranked defense, fifth ranked attack. So, like, like I said, I for Atlanta. So, I mean, um, Houston just has to show us something. Right now, they haven't shown us anything. So, I'm gonna stick with San Diego by thirty and shut up. Let me go with just to for to look at San Diego versus Houston. Just attack and defense rankings. This is pretty well. So this is like statistically, this is like two very bad teams. Um, the 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 defense for Houston is ranked eighth, and the attack is twelfth. They score one try every two hundred and forty minutes. So there is a gap here because <laughs> the San Diego. Um, Defense is ranked ninth, but they're they're ranked tenth. So like the difference is like so, uh, Houston is conceding a try every twenty four minutes. San Diego is conceding a try every twenty two minutes. Um, and I'm sure after eighty minutes of playing, Houston, but, but better. So if San Diego is scoring a try. At least once every forty minutes. So, it, like, there's a big gap between. I can't believe why, why are we even debating this. We don't need a stats. They scored zero points in two weeks. <laughs> I don't know why we're debating. This. We're, we're debating on whether they're going to hit a turkey bowl or not. Yeah, I mean, it, are they due? Uh, I mean, they're due for. Relegation? No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, you know, I, I actually like. I hope for good stuff for Houston. I'm having a little fun, but uh, you better lock that that 30 and 0 victory. I will. I will. I my picks are what I I haven't lo- I haven't put them in yet, but these will be my Super Brew picks for the week. Yeah, I, when I usually when I change my picks is when I lose badly. Um, that's been sort of the the way things have gone this uh this year um yeah right. Houston needs to show me something before I I pick them in a game again on um, <laughs> Seattle at Utah Josh um you know it's, Seattle's coming off a bye Utah's coming off a tough game against New England um it is in Utah I do think Seattle will have used the bye week to the best that they can they um, we saw what James Malcolm could do against uh, what he did against LA. They brought in, they actually brought in a former warrior in Hulu, um, Hulu Hulu Magala, yeah. is that yeah. I don't know so, what, I mean, they should have brought him in like right away. Yeah. 
Um, they brought him in, so they get they got a little bit of a scrum help. Um, honestly, I I'm gonna pick Seattle by four. Just I think, I think they're gonna do something. Seattle by four. However, 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 um, if Paul Mullen somehow ends up on the roster, that's we're just gonna go uh, a 15 point swing the other ways. <laughs> 15 point swing. 15 point right? swing if Paul Mullen shows up. Wow. I, mean, thought, I, thought, I mean, Angus McClellan has been playing pretty well. So, yeah, but did, but did you? I, I know um, ATL Scrum is is okay, but did you see what he did in the preseason against them? Yeah, but have you seen Seattle Scrum? I mean, they 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 ain't what they were. Well, unless if Tim Metcher. No, so this is where the swing happens. If Tim Metcher starts for Seattle this week, I think they got something going. But if the current front rows is what they're dealing with, I mean, I I mean, which is weird because two years ago when they had Justice Sears Duru and Jake Ilnicki at the end of the season um, with Stefanis Kutsi. Stefan Kutsi, who stayed in South Africa this year, like as like a front row three, they were they played very well uh, at the end of the 2019 season, and they played very well, you know, in the abbreviated season. But they don't have like I don't know, maybe it's just I'm not going to say it's the talent at hooker, but just all across that front row, they have been struggling, and maybe that includes like just sort of the chemistry with the locks because the whole scrum is completely different right now. Um, as far as combinations are concerned. Um, and Utah has Matt Jensen in Aston 14. So yeah, on top of Lance Williams, Bailey Wilson, Josh Whippy, Mikey Teo, um, Hagen Schulte, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, Utah obviously lost this week, but, uh, you know, has been playing very well this year. And I think mistakes, you know, a, a very atypical amount of mistakes aside, they probably would have won this past week, too. Seattle has looked, I mean, Seattle, okay. Houston hasn't scored in two weeks. Three weeks ago, they beat Seattle. So, um, I don't know. I'm gonna say Utah by ten. Yeah, if I mean, I look at those James Malcolm tries. Although they were well earned, they were kind of lucky. Not lucky that he scored them, but lucky that they were in the position to where he could pick the ball up and you know scamper in. Um, I think he probably scores this weekend, though. Um, yeah, I think that the Utah boys will want to come out and make a statement. They're, they're going to want a statement after that loss against New England. You said 15 points, Craig? I said 10. 10? Oh, this is, this is the 15-er for me. <sighs> 12 points. Um, Utah by 12. Yeah. All right, then we got... Finally, uh, for the week, New York goes down south to Georgia to play Atlanta. Um, 
New York coming off by Atlanta coming off an impressive win over San Diego, who New York also beat earlier in the year. Uh, you know, I think New York right now, you know, this is a pretty new team, new coach, you know, a lot of new flavors. So we don't have that much data, but you know, the two games we've seen, they play very loose with the ball. It's very high risk, high reward type of attack. Um, they run good, you know, good support lines and stuff. Yeah, so they have some some nice features, but there's a lot of high risk pass going on. And I think with a defense like Atlanta, um, especially on the road, they're just not going to be able to do that without Atlanta capitalizing. So I think um, I think uh, I'm going to say Atlanta by six. Uh, you know, I I'm I'm. My pick is Atlanta by nine. I, f- I feel like um, Marco, Marco Keith's probably going to go off for another two tries or so. Um, you know, I, Cowboy I just, rides again. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think Atlanta's started showing us something that they can be a team that's a force to be reckoned with. They, they showed that last week um, against San Diego. And I truly believe, and as Craig said, um, New York has getting used to a new system, and I don't think they're comfortable yet. I don't think like New York's one of those teams where I don't think the buy helped them. I I think that with the way they were trying to play the last two weeks, uh, yeah, they beat San Diego in a crazy win game, but just with the way they were playing and then the way they played, high risk and ball ball tossing, like reminded me of. Um, couple years ago when Glendale in 2019, when Glendale went down to uh, NOLA and played this high tempo game and they just got the brakes beat off them, even though that they gained over like, it was like 1200 meters. So the thing that New York doesn't have is a defense like, like, like Atlanta. And Atlanta was very smart with how they attacked, with how they took points, you know. And, you know, Scott, uh, the Cowboy played on Rooney last year. So, um, don't know. I think I, I think he's there's going to be a revenge factor for him. But just generally – Probably Atlanta by twelve. Uh, I just, I, I, I... And, and just let's let's see if we can see this. Just so people know, I'm not backing out. Damn! I do have those picks locked, locked in. in. He's got the receipts. Locked it in. They are locked, locked in. in. So, yeah, it's. I think this is the week where we kind of. There are a few teams we won't know who they. No, won't know who they are, but I just don't think the buy helped certain teams, if that makes sense. And that would be, in this case, Seattle and New York. And I could be completely wrong because if you looked at my picks, I've been completely wrong the whole season. So don't uh, – I was once the world champion in MLR Pick'em, and uh, this year ain't it. <laughs> this year ain't it, you know? Yeah, and last week you, you made a comment to Liam like, oh, you, you will never catch the leader now if you're late to join. But I feel like, I mean, even the leaders this year are like 
fifty percent accuracy. I mean, the picks are so hard. I think you know the variability and the randomness. Um, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's crazy, and I and you're always going to have buys. Like some teams are going to get the buy the first week. Like it's just going to happen. But should you have a buy when you are struggling early on in the season? And you're not going to know you're struggling until you play games. And the reality is, is I mean, obviously, like Scott says in the comments, uh, those teams needed continuity, not a buy. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that. Though. I, I mean, I feel like, I almost, to me, I feel like in that, yeah, it's March Madness season. Yeah, you know, you're playing basketball, and the other teams are dunking on you, and you're you're getting beat down. You take a timeout to regroup. I feel like this. You know, is a chance to take a time out and regroup. Uh, so actually, I, you know, I think I guess we'll see on. I, I, think I guess we'll see on uh, on Sunday. If, I mean, uh, I still think they're going to lose, but you know, I, I think <laughs> it's not going to buy. Ah, so yeah, and that was uh, week three. So we will see you next week, same time, same place. Uh, thanks, ever. Oh. No, I can't do that. We got questions. Someone submitted questions. There's no buys and, and you're full of dirt, so we're back uh, every week. Let's look at this. Um, from – go to – let's start with West Des Moines Wombats Rugby Club expansion team coached by Johnny Utah himself. Uh, he goes – they go, what's going on with the Sabercats offense? We want to see some points this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I hope we covered that. Um, put Sam Windsor back at 10 for one. And, uh, you know, Nick Boyer at nine, see what happens. That's, that's you know. Well, so I, I guess um, comparing, let's just compare Free Jackson Austin, where you had. Um, I think it's it's Dicky Dicky Lottie. Verily, um, Dicky Dicky Lottie. Yeah, yeah. He played center against New England and wing against Austin. Where yeah. do you, where do you see him fitting better? Oh, I mean, he's a rumbler. He's not really a he's not really a kind of guy that can cut. I mean, his is given if you look at his meters per carry against Austin versus his meters per carry against New England. They're vastly different. Um, he had almost 200 meters against um, New England. Um, he was like the only thing that was going well for them that game. And I would say he wasn't even a factor um, in the game against Austin. Um, yeah, I think that answers that question. I'm hoping a prayer is... <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I guess from Life Love Rugby, um, how close is Utah to naming a location for their stadium when it and when do shovels hit the ground? I mean, I don't know. I, I should, probably should have hit up, you know, the man, Kimball Care, and say, hey, man, um, what's, how's planning coming along? Or Brandon Sparks would be like, "Hey, can you ask your boss how planning is coming along?" I don't know. I, I mean, they they're they're gonna build. They're gonna 
spend $20 million to build a stadium, it's going to take a little bit of time. I think the fact that the Sabercats got their stadium up when they did is actually kind of impressive. And it would have gone up sooner. They just, uh, I don't know. I mean, well, the rumor was they didn't talk to the right councilman, but just the reality is, is if you want to build a stadium, it's going to take time, especially now because of all the environmental impact studies and, you know, people needing their, as we saw with the Revertron Park deal that um, the, uh, I guess, Nexus Sports Group or whatever, the, the parent company of the, of the Jackals was going to try and redevelop a community park into a minor league and mixed use facility where the Jackals would have played the first couple of seasons. And it just never got off the ground because of there wasn't community support. Um, so I just need to send that terrifying cat with the flamethrower to whatever, uh, whatever <laughs> council man or whatever the roadblock is. Yeah, uh, and then here's a good one. Should New York build a joint stadium with a minor league soccer team in the New York area? Don't the Cosmos play at Coney Island? The Cosmos? I don't New know. York Cosmos. They're they were that um they weren't an ASL team. Let me see. They were the original um NASL team way back in the day. But Scott Scott says no. Are these soccer terms? I don't know what we're talking about. What is ASL? North, NASL? North American Soccer League. So they were playing. Um, Scott says Long Island. Mitchell Field. Where is Mitchell Field? Oh, Mitchell Field. That's right. Uh, that's on right. Mitchell right. on the decommissioned Mitchell Air Force Base. Yeah, Mitchell Fields in, in Long Island, Garden City. Uniondale, the East Garden City. Yeah. Hey, why, why don't they just go out to? They should build a facility on Long Island. Is damn right. I was saying this before. There's like there's rugby pit. I, I live on Long Island. This full disclosure. Uh, there's rugby pitches just everywhere. There's two of them just in the. Where gray. are these rugby? Like we don't even have. There's like one. There's like one field in town. Um, one field in town in Phoenix where there is rugby posts in the ground and they're at the old Thunderbird campus of um, Thunderbird International Graduate Business College. Um, and it's owned by ASU bought ASU. Well, Thunderbird University merged with ASU and then they sold the campus. Um, yeah. Eisenhower Park. Eisenhower Park is right by Mitchell Field. It also has a rugby pitch in place. I've never seen anyone using it. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, building a stadium is very difficult and expensive, especially in New York. So it would be great, of course. Uh, I hope they do. But, you know, let's Craig, find the billionaire who's ready to fund that. Craig Ski says Mount Vernon. He says to build a stadium in Mount Vernon? He says New York needs to throw money at Mount Vernon and get a stadium off the Metro North Pelham stop. I think Ski lives in Ohio now, so he doesn't uh, – I think well, he's forgotten. I more. mean, I Scott, I've said they should play at Fordham forever, and I'm not the person that cuts checks. I'm not the person that makes decisions, and people say the reason why you can't play at Fordham is you can't sell beer. And as we've seen with many other Catholic schools, it just depends on how much you want to pay in rent. Hey, I I said I said in our chat they should just head north and play at the Carrier Dome. Hey, let's go to Syracuse. 
That would be I mean, as close as Coney Island. I mean, what happened to uh, <laughs> what happened to the idea that they were going to play in a like play throughout the empire? Yeah, I don't know. That was the old ownership. Uh, yeah, so I, I I don't know. I couldn't tell you where they're like where they will build. I just know that building a stadium is is intense. Maybe like could you develop in partnership with the Gaelic Athletic Association, um, the GAA place, uh, Gaelic Garlic Field, Garlic Field? Um, <laughs> could you develop that further into a, a stadium? Uh, Maybe they could finally go take Randall's Island and make it into a commercial stadium with seating for rugby. Um, I can just go to I can field. I, I mean, like we talked about this in our chat. It's like, why not I can field? And I guess I can, people are saying I can field's too small, but I mean, how many games of, how many MLR games have been played on fields with tracks? <laughs> yeah, this will has a track. I've never actually been at I can stadium, uh, but I, I've heard it's too small. Uh, there is a field next to it that they use for, you know, New York rugby club matches every once in a while. So I'd love to see it on TV with like the crazy methadone clinic and everything else that's on Randall's <laughs> Island. <laughs> it's like, what was it? Uh, I always bought like. The only way to get there is to walk over a bridge. When I was a platoon leader, I always bought like, I always brought cigarettes um, with me mm-hmm. and extra dip because the dudes always smoke and they always dip and like uh my platoon sergeant one time is like sir why are you handing out like cigarettes by like the singles you know to these guys are you running a methadone clinic i was like what (laughs) (laughs) like what i was like i mean geez oh just if you're ever in that kind of situation where you're out in the middle of the desert always bring cigarettes i can you will end up smoking them but other people will also end up smoking them too so if you don't smoke, you will end up smoking. I'm telling you right now. Um, I haven't smoked a cigarette. Uh, well, I was never a cigarette smoker, but I haven't smoked a cigarette since like 2015. So, yeah. I've never smoked a cigarette. Cigars, though. I could use a cigar tonight. Oh, nice. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, now that we've answered the questions, you will catch us next week, same time, same place, um, the internets, and, uh, you know, can't wait to watch some rugby this weekend. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.